0: His Royal Highness, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, who did pass away, I think it would be fair enough to say that none of us knew him personally. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we only know him from the things that we saw of him in his public life. and it's, But obviously the person that would know him the best would be the Queen of... Uh, Uh, 73 years of being married together I would expect that they would know one another very well and they had obviously some years of getting to know each other before then if you know their story so there's this uh, public uh, life and personal life that we see intersecting in one person and if any of you were had even a glance at a television screen yesterday, you probably caught some of the conversations that seemed like they were on most channels of tributes to his life and t- talking about him and showing different things about his life. And um, it's, it's, in, it's interesting to hear um, different people's perspectives of, of him, but the people that you most want to hear from are the ones you're not going to hear from, is it, really, in some senses? Because you want to hear from the people who actually lived with him, were really up close and personal to him, not ones that knew him from a distance or knew him from second-hand sources or knew about him because someone had told them something. You want that first-hand source. And really that today, as we begin this series, it's called Meet Jesus. And we're going to take a journey over the next, I don't know how long, uh, to go through John's gospel, John's biography of Jesus' life, and this is an eyewitness account. This is someone who lived with Jesus, traveled with Jesus, knew Jesus uh, for his public ministry. So at least three years of one-on-one, small group, large group, crowd conversations. So John's a very credible witness. Now, one of the things that's really hard to do is to find good pictures of Jesus. Um, There's not many that are are around, so we have to use what's available and um, so this is an image behind me uh, and some of you will recognise it and if those of you that don't recognise it, it's, uh, it's an actor who played the role of Jesus in Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. And I actually one of the reasons I chose this particular image, if you have a look at it it 's if you ever look at his face, if you have a look at his hair, and you can see that there 's a focus there 's an earnestness there 's a sweat on his brow as he's, as he's engaging we 're not quite sure exactly what the scene from the movie is, uh, but I wanted something that really captured him as a real man, as a real human being. Um, I'm old enough to have seen other movies of Jesus' life where they show him as sort of this ethereal being kind of floating around, you know, through the stories of his life. Whereas uh, that's not who he was. You kind of don't think that he's a real person. But uh, Jesus is a real person. He existed in a real place in a real time. And it's so important that we actually know him as he is, not as we imagine him to be. And one of the things that some of you might find as we take this journey through John's biography is that there'll be things about Jesus that will actually confront how you imagine him to be because you hadn't thought of him in the way that you were going to see him. There'll be others where it will confirm how you conceive him to be. And so there'll be a mix as we go through. And the important thing is that we, we want to grow in knowing who he is, as he really was. And so we've got this wonderful thing of, a, of an eyewitness testimony, a, a man telling us who he was, what he was like, and it, someone that knew him personally. Um, if I can have the next slide, please. And... John 's right up front in his biography of jesus life, and he tells us he says he says i 'm writing this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I think this is such a good I think this is such a wonderful gift to us. John has told us up front like i 've written this for these reasons because I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, that's a specific title. um, And I want you to believe that he's the son of God and he means the unique son of God so that believing in him, you may have life in his name. Now, so take a bit of time just here to say, okay, Messiah, that's a technical word. It's a Hebrew, it's a sort of a, it's not really a Hebrew. It is sort of a Hebrew word that's sort of, drifted into English uh, it simply means anointed one and all the way back if you go back all the way in the, to the beginning of the scriptures um, God promises someone will come who will be anointed by God he'll be appointed by God to bring deliverance to bring salvation to the whole earth so John's saying that that this man Jesus of Nazareth is that one now, Jewish people all over the world are looking for their the Messiah to come, the Anointed One, who's going to liberate Israel from its captivity, who's going to usher in the Kingdom of God on earth, where God will become King. Is what they hope for. And uh, there's actually been uh, some things in the media, in in Jewish media sources this week of, of rumblings. Is this great conviction that someone has been identified as the Messiah, and uh, so even at, so, and actually at the time of Jesus, when Jesus was born, there was a lot of rumblings in Israel about a Messiah that was about to come. Now they conceived of, of what that was going to look like, and for many of them, when Jesus came the first time. He didn't so much come to fulfill those things, he came to fulfill something else, which is the second part of what John says. He says about that Jesus is the unique son of God. And if you, like, when, if you think about it this way, when Jesus came the first time, it was to demonstrate that he was God incarnate or God enfleshed, God as a man, which was an unexpected Uh, part of the story from a Jewish perspective when he comes again he will fulfill all of if you like the messianic promises concerning the inauguration of the kingdom of God and the rule of God going forth from Jerusalem and covering the whole earth and what John is also saying here is because he's dealing with some of the things because he's he's written this after uh, Jesus had ascended to heaven and there's, there's questions about the exact dating of this. And uh, we haven't got John's original scroll where he wrote his gospel and, and he didn't put the date in the top right-hand corner of when he wrote it like we might do or the left-hand corner of letters so that people will know when we wrote the letter. He didn't do those things. So there's a, bit of, there's a little bit of discussion about whether it was before 70 AD or after 70 AD but before the end of the first century. So... We're 2,000 years later, so 30 years isn't a big deal, is it? 2,000 years later, really? Does it, you really, anyway, okay, we'll go on. So, but the thing about it is, at that time, there were other people talking about sons of God, and this occurs in in, uh, different religious forms. Um, In uh, Greek and Roman mythology, there were people known as sons of God. Small s. So, John, what John is saying is he's, he's really speaking into, a, into a, if you like, a Greek audience in ways. He's covering both Jews and Greeks, but he's saying, What I'm saying to you about Jesus is that he is a unique, he's the unique Son of God. He is the one and only. He's in a category all of its own. Regardless of what you think about these other sons of God, Jesus is in this unique category. Of he is the son of God. The unique one. There's no one like him. And that he is the one that gives life to all who put their trust in him. And that's what he says. By believing you may have life in his name. It's good to have someone that wants you to have life. Wants the fullness. It's, it's this thing of John saying, I really want you to have Have life, and the way you get life, eternal life, is through Jesus, giving Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, your complete allegiance. So John is wanting to take us there. And uh, when John says believe, he's not meaning, I want you to agree that this is good information that's not the kind of belief. Uh, Do you believe it's raining today? Yes you do, you've experienced the rain, it's that, you've actually walked through the rain to get into this building, you walked out of your house, maybe you got rained on getting out of your house and into your vehicle to get here. It's the belief that says I'm acting on this, Um, this is not just information that I think is nice information, This is something I'm acting on. I'm so thoroughly convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm so thoroughly convinced that Jesus is the unique Son of God that it's changing my whole life because I'm putting my trust in Him. I'm believing this to be so and that is giving me life. So it's that type of believing that John is inviting us into and I'm inviting you into as we begin this series. If you've not yet Put your trust, your complete allegiance in Jesus as the Messiah and as the unique and only Son of God. I'm saying to you today, uh, I hope you're curious and motivated, but I'm saying if you want to believe in Jesus, if you want to have eternal life, and life in all its fullness in this life and eternal life, it comes through Jesus alone. And we're going to see, as John outlines the story of Jesus' life, that Jesus proved himself to be the crucified, resurrected God-man. That's a bit of a mouthful. We're going to see how that plays out in the weeks ahead. Jesus proved that he is actually the source of life. He's the one who gives eternal life. He's the one that gives resurrection life to anyone who puts their trust in him. So John wants people, when he's writing, uh, like I say, it's somewhere either in the late 60s or later on in the first century what John's writing is saying I want people to know the Jesus that I knew and I want people to put their trust in him as I've put my trust in him I want them to experience him and to worship him in the way that I've worshipped him and so that's what the question that's going to come to us over and over again as we see how John uh, shows us Jesus now there's a map to show you that um, we can see this is a map of the Middle East, particularly around Israel. And this is simply to say to you that Jesus is a real person. He existed in real time, in real place. And this map helps us identify some of the things that we will read as we go through John. Because what we find is that see, we, Australia is unique in that we are an island continent, and you don't, go to an, you don't enter another country until you leave this island, right? And, and then you go to another continent. I mean, you talk to some people who live in Europe, and we've got people who were born in Europe, and, and to think that you could drive from the west coast of Western Australia, and it's about 15 hours before you even enter another state of Australia, Like, that is mind-boggling to people who live in Europe and other places. To think that you can drive in one direction for 15 hours, or however long it is, before you even go into another state of the same nation is just amazing. So, here you've got on this map, you can see there's some parts of it that are under Roman rule. I mean, it's all officially under Roman rule, but they also allowed... Herod, who was Herod Antipas, he had some territory that he ruled. And Herod or Philip, he had some space as well. So although it was all under the Roman control, of the Roman Empire, there was these different parts of it. And that plays out towards the end of the story where you see uh, Jesus on trial and there's a conversation about, oh, he's from Nazareth, that's under Herod's thing, so Pilate sends him to Herod. But Most of what John tells us happens up in the Galilee region and also it's clustered around Jerusalem in the south. Now I hope you can see that on the map. I haven't got a pointer there but this is all easy to see. So when we're reading through John, uh, we've got some chapter things and verses in there that John didn't originally put in there. But One of the things you need to be alert to is you need to think, hang on a minute, where is this happening? And so that's why map is helpful. If you're not familiar with using maps to read your Bible, it helps you because John will tell you something that's happening up in the Galilee region in the north, say in Capernaum, and then the next paragraph will open with Jesus in Jerusalem, which is down the south, which is about 200 kilometers south. There's no cars. It's all walking. So, what you need to remind yourself is okay, Jesus and his disciples have now walked 200 kilometres to get to Jerusalem. That's probably taken them X number of days. You work it all out. And so you, you fill in there's been this conversation that's ongoing as they journey. And then in the next sentence, he might say they're, they're somewhere else or they're by the Jordan River. And you go, well, where is that? And so you. Watch now, some of you who have got printed Bibles will find maps in the back of your Bible. How many of you got a printed Bible with maps in the back? Quite a few of you have right if you haven 't got a Bible like that, if you are using a digital Bible, you can find digital maps online that will show you um, where the things took place in jesus life, which really helps you it just helps give a grid, give a reference of what 's going on the, the kind of dynamics that were at play and the relationships that are being formed as Jesus journeys around the place. One of the things about John is that um, it's more than John, but I've come to appreciate John uses a special number. How many of you know what that number is? Don't move my slide yet. What's the special number that John uses quite a bit in his In his books. Don't be shy. Have have some courage. Come on, have the courage of your convictions. Seven. I hear it from the back. A sort of muted, enthusiastic seven. That is correct. Well done. Well done. So now we can have that next slide. So... One of the things that John does is he he gives Jesus sevens in the book of in the book of John, but before we talk about John, where else in the Bible do we find the number seven? Where's it first mentioned Genesis, Genesis book of Genesis. okay, where else do we find it mentioned? Daniel, Daniel. yep, where else is another prophet, another prophet stay close to Daniel, stay close to Daniel, Isaiah, yes, yep. Isaiah talks about seven. Okay. Now where else do we find sevens? In John. What other book of John do we find sevens? Revelation. Revelation. Yeah. How many times seven how many times does seven appear in the book of Revelation? Seven times. Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> it might do, but let's go. How many Seven churches, seven lampstands. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're good. Okay. See, all the we're, uh, some of us are working through the book of Revelation at the moment. Uh, watchmen are about to launch it. Women are ahead of the game. The men are playing catch up, which is not uncommon. But hey, be patient with us, ladies. We will get there. Thank you very much. So, so John, in his in this biography of Jesus' life, he he shows us seven things about Jesus. Why is the number seven important? Yeah, okay, say so together. It's completion, it's perfection. So when the Bible uses the number seven, it's saying this is complete, this is perfect, right? So one of the things, for example, in Revelation is that you see uh, Jesus as a lamb with seven horns. Now, if you saw a one-year-old lamb with seven horns, you'd be a bit freaked out, right? <laughs> so, uh, but if you, it's, it's really, it's describing function. And horns are about leadership, governance, rulership. So we see the lamb that was slain over here. on that beautiful painting here, drawing. Not quite sure of the technical term for it. It's a beautiful piece of art. Um, so, and Jesus had seven So, in other words, he is the perfect, he is the complete ruler, governor, the one that we can have absolute confidence in, that he will govern justly and righteously. All right. So, Gospel of John. We've got seven titles for Jesus, seven signs, and seven declarations. So, these are very important things. Let's just quickly rip through them this morning. First of all, seven titles. Um, No, no, before we go to there, let's look at things Jesus didn't say. Okay, this is just a bit of fun. (laughs) Jesus didn't say, Make anyone, any country great again. He didn't say, Do it for you. You deserve it. He didn't say, All religions are equal. I'm just one option among many. He didn't say, I'm here to give you a personalised, subjective experience of God, just for you. Uh, He didn't say, Heaven and hell aren't real. And He didn't say, I'm one of the ascended cosmic masters. He didn't say, love is love. He didn't say, follow your dreams and I'll make them happen. He didn't say, whoa, I can't save you. Your sins are too big for me. And he didn't say, follow me and I'll give you fame, success and wealth. He didn't say, sin's not that big a deal. Get over it. He didn't say obedience to God's overrated. Now, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to put this in, apart from having a bit of fun, was because some of this is very prevalent in our culture. Some of these beliefs, and there, and it's even within the within the church that there are people because we're drinking, if you like, in the, we live in a culture we. We breathe the air of the culture, all those kind of things. We can unconsciously even begin to take these kind of things on board that um, some of them are clearly things Jesus wouldn't say, but some of them are kind of like, well, it, you know, he did sort of say something kind of like that or, or we've, uh, we've created a Jesus in our own heads that we want to have said something like that. Because we want acceptance from the culture and if we tell them what Jesus actually said, they will get upset with us. We don't want them to get upset with us. We want them to think we're nice people and so we won't say what Jesus actually said. And there's a tension within us about these things. I've come to see, and John says it so clearly, remember what he says at the beginning? I'm telling you all this so that you will what? You will believe that Jesus is who? Messiah, Son of God, and have life in his name. These three things. This is what I want you to see. So uh, we'll go to the seven titles. And we find all of these in chapter 1, verses 29 to 51. I do encourage you, those of you that can fit in John in between your readings of Revelation, which I'm sure it won't be hard. It just means using the off button on other appliances. Uh, These are the seven titles and we find them at the beginning. So it's the declaration and each of these has a loaded thing, uh, like a lot of information behind it. And I want to encourage you, go and have a look at them. Go and find out what these titles actually mean, um, and even if you are really familiar with them, I want to uh, think about it this way: Could you explain to a, someone who is curious to know more about Jesus what each of these titles mean when they're used for Jesus? Now, I hope you're sitting there going, "Nailed it, Wayne. Got it. I do it with my eyes closed." Right? But if you can't, explain what these, what these titles mean to someone who is curious to know about Jesus, then you need to go have a look, right? Lamb of God, the Son of God, Rabbi, the Son of Man, Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and the King of Israel. The Jesus of Nazareth one I find always very interesting um, because, and when you read this, you'll see... Because there's a retort that there's a like a rhetorical question when um when this is said to to someone and I won't give you this person's name at this point, but that person goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like seriously? You're telling me that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, and it's Jesus from Nazareth? You've got to be joking, you know. And you could you could fit in the subtext that. You could think of a place where it's like, really, you're telling me from there? You know, can anything good come out of that? So that's an interesting one to go. Then John walks us through seven signs. So, and these, these are progressive through the book. And as he goes through the book, he says, this is the first sign so that you'll believe. He's, the next one, he says, this is the second sign that you'll believe. And then after that, he doesn't remind us. <laughs> you have to keep count yourself. If you have to go, where am I up to? Three. So you might want to have a notebook and keep these down. He turns water into wine. That would have was a great wedding to be at. Uh, he healed a boy uh, that, was, that was sick without even showing up uh, in the village. He just spoke a word. He, there was a lame man who'd been lame for 37 years. Did I get that right? 37 years uh, that he, he made to walk again. It was the time we walked on the sea and it was a storm. It was the time he fed 5,000 plus people, big crowd, and the, he gave sight to a man born blind. And that caused a great stir because that had never been done before. There had been people who'd gone blind and been healed by other rabbis, but Jesus was the first rabbi to heal a man born blind. And then he raises Lazarus from the grave to death to life. And that concludes John's seven signs. And, so, and he tells us these, signs on, these seven signs, so again, it's the completeness, so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, also through his biography, he's got these seven declarations. So when we're thinking of things that Jesus didn't say, here are seven things on the lips of Jesus that John tells us he actually said. So he said, I'm the real bread of life. I'm the real light of the world. I'm the real door of salvation. I am the good shepherd who genuinely cares for the sheep. I am the resurrection to eternal life. I am the real way, truth and life to the Father. And I'm the real vine. Okay. In some translations, you'll see the word true instead of the word real. It's the same word. It can be translated equally both, through both ways. Now, I've chosen this. Because there's a particular Gnostic dualistic thinking that exists today, that existed back then, uh, which I'll, I'll f- unpack more next week. So, part of what John is doing as is he's is putting, as is he's Jesus making these statements, is he's, he's Jesus saying, I am the reality that you're looking for, people. You don't need to look any further. There isn't some other way. I am the real bread. I am the real life. I'm the real vine. Now, all of these things, again, are filled with meaning and worth giving you time to understanding these declarations that Jesus is making. So as we begin this journey today, uh, my hope is that I've provoked you this morning to begin to read John again. I want to encourage you to get yourself either a blank notebook or use one you're existing and, you know, write Meet Jesus on it. And I want you to record in your notebook the things as you read through John. Record the verses where those seven titles are, where the seven miraculous signs are, where these seven I am statements. Record what Jesus says about God. Record what he says about himself, what he says about people and what he says to do very important. And one of the things that you're going to find is that John continues to confront us all with, you have to decide who Jesus is. Because Jesus, you're going to see in the book of John, Jesus will say something and or do something. And then if, when he does things, there's often a long explanation that follows that. And then at the end of that, there's, there's rumblings through the crowd. There's people who are going, he really is the Messiah. He really is the son of God. And there's other people going, no, he's not. Don't get on board with that. And even, and the people with the power of the day are intimidating people, threatening them. Don't you dare say he's the son of God, the Messiah. You'll be excommunicated. You'll be thrown out of society. You'll pay more in taxes. You'll lose your job, your home, your income, all these kind of things. So, this is a reality. You see, John is going to continue as you read his biography of Jesus' life and as we go through it, which is, will take us all the way into next year at the, the current rate, which is a good thing. We don't have to be in a hurry, do we? You got somewhere else to go? I mean, I'm not saying you're going to sit here until next year today, but I'm just saying you come back and we'll keep going. But this, this thing that John keeps doing, where he keeps saying, Here's a sign of Jesus to prove that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. Here's a, here's a statement he made. And it's like, now you decide. Are you going to decide for him? Are you going to say yes? Are you convinced yet he's the Messiah, the Son of God? And if you've got life in his name, because that's why he says, that. if we can have that last slide up, this is where, this is where John wants to lead us. And we will all be invited, we're all invited into that place of a decision. When we get to the end of John, will we have joined John in this place of saying, Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the unique son of God. I've believed in him and I have life now and forevermore. My prayer for us all is that our lives, our eyes, will be opened to see Jesus, perhaps more than we've ever seen Him before, and that will cause us to respond in love, in worship, and greater obedience to Him. Will you pray with me? As you're praying, just say, "God, I'd like to see Jesus and know Jesus." in the way that John knew him. And perhaps you're here this morning and this is, this is all kind of sounding brand new. You can just speak that out to God. You can say, that's what I'd like, God. I'd like to know Jesus as he really is. Not, a, not as I imagine him to be, not as my culture has told him to be, but as, as the people who knew him, people like John who, who walked and travelled with him and were personally with him for three years in an intense way, I want to know Him the way that John knew Him. For those of you that have got already, you're on this journey with Jesus. I'm I'm asking you this morning just to pray and say, God, fill my eyes with a greater revelation of who Jesus is. That my heart will come alive. And perhaps at the moment you there's a weariness, there's a dullness. say I I want to be captivated by Jesus by who he really is my heart was once really alive to him and I want that again so God I'm asking you you breathe fresh life on my life fresh reality that I'll be captivated of fresh by who Jesus is and my heart overflow with a love for him that's greater than any other love in the past, greater than any other love in the present, greater than any other love in the future.